you know, coincidentally how social media works, right? And mm-hmm. when we see, like, we're, we're kind of a, a nation of followers, right? No one wants to be an individual. So when we see our favorite artist or our favorite actor talking about how they struggle with depression and anxiety, you know, I think in the past few years, it's become more acceptable because people really realize that mental health is real. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's mm-hmm. not just taboo and it's not just something you can pray away. Hello, my name is Lynette Caldwell, and I'm your host and creator of Her Real Life, the podcast about her, you, and me. The sounds you will experience are collections of my unfiltered thoughts, conversations, and views from people I've encountered or connected with, or other cool people we'll all want to know a little bit better. This is basically my way of showing how we as women live very similar lives and have very similar experiences, spoken and unspoken. We just live those lives in different hoods, on different streets. What you're about to hear is her real life. So today, I have the absolute pleasure of introducing my guest. Um, We literally have done a lot of things together. I know that sounds very strange, but we have, this is my roommate back, like right after I got out of college. Um, So we've lived together. We've. Um, interacted we haven't spoken like literally spoken in probably 17 years but we've kept up with each other kind of on social media I love this person I know he probably thinks I'm crazy as I'm I'm talking but when I think about him I smile like he makes me happy he's artistic he is super smart very intelligent like a loving stylish um He's a bachelor. He's sexy. Like he just, he's very respectful. So he's just everything. Like I really, really care a lot about this person that I'm about to introduce to you. His name is Rinky Duncan. Like I said, he's my roommate, my old roommate from back in the day. And he's a professional. Um, He has 18 years of experience as a social worker, seven years as a clinical therapist. Um, He studied at NC State. He's done so many things, but I'm going to allow you to hear from him. So with um, no further ado, this is Ricky Duncan. Ricky, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing well. <laughs> Thanks for having me. You are welcome. Will you please let everybody know a little bit more about you? I've given just like a brief capsule of who you are. Can you tell us who you are and all the things we need to know about Ricky Duncan? Well, yeah, I think you pretty much <laughs> said it all. I mean... You know, you mentioned my undergrad work at NC State. Also received my master's degree at UNC Chapel Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm currently working as a clinical therapist at a few different facilities, um, but mainly I do a lot of one-on-one therapy, um, dealing with the range of issues from anxiety to substance abuse. Okay. Um, who are the, who's the, what's the population that you work with? Um, pretty much is all over. Um, I think as we talked, you know, off sound, it was, you know, I was explaining to you, you know, it's ranging from 11, I think it's my youngest right now. And Mm -hmm. I think the oldest is around 82 or 83 Mm -hmm. that I but um, there's no main population or age or race or what have you. For the most part, it's it's all over. So tell me, how did you get into, like, what drew you into social work, mental health? Um, what is it like? What's I know you are passionate about it because you have to be passionate about um, mm-hmm. this type of work in order to be in it this long. So what is the what was the driving factor that pulled you in? Right. I mean, it's so funny because I I think I kind of stumbled on social work, to be honest with you. You know, I initially went into NC State as, you know, an athlete. So I was running track. I was there on scholarship. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, my main thing was I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to do something to help others out. So uh, initially I wanted to major in English. I wanted to be an English teacher. One of my top two favorite teachers from middle and high school were both my English teachers. So, mm-hmm. you know, and they were not only great teachers, but they were very helpful, you know, outside of 
the classroom. So when things were going on at home, you know, they were there to kind of help me and let me know they, 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 they will be there for me. So mm-hmm. that was just really, really inspiring for me. But, you know, I went to an interest meeting for social work and it was to minor in it actually. And, you know, during that interest meeting, it was just extremely like, wow, this is the exact population that I want to work with. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I changed my major. So I changed it to, you know, they also had a major in social work. So I was like, you know what, this is what I want to do. And I never looked back. Wow. Now, where are you from originally? Originally, I'm from upstate New York, Poughkeepsie, Mm -hmm. New York. Mm -hmm. So that's where I was raised to about 11. And then um, I moved to Lynchburg, Virginia um, with my mom. And um, she passed away of breast cancer shortly after. And my grandmother was pretty much my guardian. And so she passed away my 11th grade year mm-hmm. in high school. And I ended up staying with my uncle for a year um, until I went away to college. So, you know. Um, and from there, I came, I came to Raleigh and just never really looked back. Yeah. Well, like I said, um, Ricky and I were connected through. Um, how do we even become roommates? Like, was it through work? Yeah, I mean, I was homeless. So, um, <laughs> but did I know that? Did I know you were homeless? I mean, you didn't know I was homeless, but you knew I needed a place to stay. I was staying in Charlotte with my cousin and I was driving in to Shelby every day and yeah you know, I, I think I may have approached you about it or t- me and Terry was talking about it and I think you know it it, it kind of sparked from there after you had a talk with your current husband now who were your, who was your boyfriend at the time but um <laughs> but he was like after, in Indiana so he was after, far away yeah I, but he met me and he gave the okay so you know it was it was all good <laughs> from there so no big issues no and and just for the record I was like a terrible terrible roommate I was horrible I was really really immature um very very um spoiled just I was a horrible person at that time but like we were just talking about this was in our 20s this is like over 17 years ago because we stopped being roommates before the last time we've spoken but I couldn't have been too bad because you still talk to me and like, I I don't ha- I have like fond memories of you because most people that I don't like anymore, I don't have fond memories of. So obviously <laughs> things weren't horrible because I feel like we have a good relationship still. Right. But I, I, I don't remember anything really being bad. I mean, I think one time I let you use my car and it broke down when you were driving it. And I, that was the only thing I remember that was that was a bad time because I wasn't certain if you messed my car up on purpose or what. So but that, that was the only time I remember something really being bad. But far as roommate, roommate stuff, I mean, I guess it was just normal stuff that people go through as roommates, but I don't think it was any heavy drama. So I definitely don't remember any real ill will about it at all oh no no like it wasn't just ill like we didn't have any drama it was just I feel like I was just like all over the place and I wasn't a good roommate like I'm like now I would be a great roommate you know what I mean just because like I just know more but like you said it was in our 20s and nobody really knows a whole lot back then but I just I love the fact that we can communicate the way we do and no and one thing about you you were so respectful because even you know, you never like as um having a, a male roommate, a female and male roommate usually is a very interesting situation. And I never felt uncomfortable or like like you were just disrespectful. And I just wanted to tell you that because that's a great thing. You know, if we're talking about my real life, like your real life, our real life, mm-hmm. that a lot of people can't say that. Like a lot of people can't say that they have males in their lives. A lot of females that I know can't say that they've had male friends or male roommates in their lives that at some point in time didn't try to disrespect them. Right. You know, or their relationship or something like that. So that says a lot about you as a person. And um, I just appreciate that because you could have been horrible, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, my friend. 
I mean, I'm just being honest. It could have been terrible. You know, there are, I mean, people just, they don't care. Some people are just grimy. This is true. So I just appreciate you. And I really do have like, I really do have love for you. So thank you for coming on the show. Um, what we do next, normally I do what we call um, the five, which is like a quick um, rapid fire question and answer session. And literally I want you to, you have five minutes and I want you to listen to the questions and think of the very first thing that comes to your mind and just answer these questions that I'm going to ask you. They tell a lot about you as a person, whether we realize it or not. A lot of the things that we do every day, the little decisions we make, they speak a lot about who we are. So it's it's a fun little, little thing. So hopefully you enjoy it. You don't have to think too much about it, like think too much into it, but you can, and we can talk about it, but you only have five minutes. So we want to get as much in as possible in five minutes. So okay. you ready? Yep. Okay. All right. Well, here we go. So your five minutes are starting in three, two, and go. Are you usually early or late? Early. Do you like to fly or drive? Fly. Would you consider yourself an introvert or an extrovert? Extrovert. If you sing or dance, or if you if it's up to singing or dancing, which one are you, a singer or a dancer? <laughs> dance. <laughs> Why is that funny? Okay, so on, on your female friends, the ladies that you like, or lady that you like, do you like lipstick or eyeshadow? Um, lipstick. Okay. Do you use words or emojis when you communicate? Both. You like coffee or tea? Mm, tea. I'm just getting into tea. My my friend just put me on to tea. So, I mean, I always love sweet tea, but um, I'm slowly getting into hot tea now. So, yeah, I actually have tea and that I made like maybe an hour ago that's simmering in the freezer because I want to try it cold right now. So do you drink it hot and cold or you just like... Well, I always drink it hot, but with the wings, I don't have anything but water and I don't feel like drinking water. So I wanted to try the tea um, cold. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Ricky. Okay. Um, Cash or card? Uh, Card. Do you like to text or call? Text. Do you like oatmeal or cereal? Cereal. Okay. So you only have to pick one of these. I want you to pick one. Lyrics or instrumental? lyrics do you like fresh or frozen food fresh what's your favorite smell what's my favorite smell mm-hmm. what you like to smell ricky <laughs> fresh fresh detergent i guess I like clean. I like clean smells, so that's the only thing I can really think about. Like I really like, you know, like the new car scents and, and stuff like that. So anything that's like fresh, like you know, new that new that new smell. I got you. That's just the way you said it. <laughs> okay. If you could only take music, book, or pen and paper, which one would you take? Music. Do you like writing with a pen or a pencil? Okay, treadmill or run outside? Run outside. What did you run when you were, um... Day 100. Oh, God. (laughs) Stamina. Okay, weights or bands? Weights. Would you do yoga or hit? Oh, I like both, but I'm trying to get into yoga a little bit more, so yoga for right now. Okay, I am too. I need yoga in my life and meditation. Okay, French pressed or brewed coffee? I don't know what French press is. (laughs) It's going to say brewed coffee. (laughs) I'm not that. I don't sip on that type of stuff. I'm not a fancy. (laughs) Not a fancy coffee drinker? Not at all. That's okay. Do you like free weights? Yes. Okay. Cats or dogs? Neither, but my friend has a cat, so I'm going to say cat right now. Okay. Bath or shower? Shower. You like to work out at home or in a gym? Gym. Hotel or Airbnb? Mm, Hotel. How do you like your eggs? Scrambled all the way. 
Okay. Fast food or home cooking? Home cook. On your lady, dress or a romper? One minute. Dress. Carpet or hardwood? Wait, hold up. I guess uh, it has going to have to depend on where her body's like, but I get dressed for right now. Okay. <laughs> Carpet or hardwood? Carpet. A minivan or SUV? 40 seconds. SUV. Automatic or a stick shift? Stick shift. High tops or low top sneakers? Mmm. <sighs> low tops. On your lady friend, heels or flats? Mm. <laughs> Where you're going, but um, I'll take uh, 15 seconds. My particular friend, I think flats would probably be more appropriate. Okay. Um, what was your favorite toy as a kid? Five seconds. Three. Um, train. This little um, remote control train. Ding, ding, ding. Okay, Ricky. I learned some stuff about you. See? It's over. That was it. That's five minutes of, like, we learned all kind of things about Ricky Duncan right there. Let's talk. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Okay. No. Let's talk about um, one thing we haven't discussed. You have an eye for fashion and photography. Before we get into the meat of everything, I want to talk about all of that because there's no way I think about Ricky and I don't think about what does Ricky have on today or um, some of the shoots that you shared. Like, tell me a little bit about the creative side of Ricky Duncan. Um, I think the fashion piece is just something, you know, I think, being from New York, that was, you know, the culture, you know, always being fresh to death, so to speak, mm-hmm. you know, and I didn't necessarily really have the money to be fresh to death, but I know we always had at least a piece or two that was, you know, within the times, you right. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Whether British nights out, the gazelle glasses mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever it was, my mom, found a way to make sure we were hip to it. And then, you know, I think not always having, having a lot, it always made me like really cherish the things that I have. So taking care of them yeah. and making sure they, they just look new all the time. You know what I'm saying? So oh, yeah. I, that's kind of where, where that came from. And then, you know, I just feel like as a grown man, you know, there are some things that, you just need to keep up on like no one necessarily needs to have the latest like high fashion stuff but I think as a man with a job you know there are certain uh, there's upkeeps you know what I'm saying like a woman right you, mm-hmm. you want to get your hair done and stuff like that and I just feel like you know having myself presentable you know it's it's it means a it means a lot to me and plus you know I'm a single man so mm-hmm. you know I I have to make sure I'm looking decent <laughs> you know for the most part I can't be out in these streets looking bummy talking about I want a female and right you know, so that you know that is that just is what it is I don't I never really understood the origin of it I mean a lot of my friends and people who just follow me in general you know they always comment on stuff like that but I really don't you know, I don't use any major brain waves like, man, I'm trying to be so fresh and I'm trying to get this stuff together. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I really thought about it, I probably can do it 365 a year if I really just wanted to make my page so, you know, <laughs> artificial or so superficial, I guess I should say I could probably do do that. Like even the latest pics of posting that like that, I usually don't even do that like three, four posts back to back. And it was essentially me just really posting from a fashion point of view. That really was what that was. And I'm usually don't really do that. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I just want I was just feeling that I wanted to do that. I wanted my page to reflect that for a little bit, you know. Um, so that's that's what that was. But it also leaks over to the, you know, the photography part. Like I love, you know, I love shooting you know, interesting places like leading lines and, mm-hmm. you know, beautiful faces and interesting subjects. Like it's just super, super interesting to me to try to put a subject somewhere and just, you know, be creative and, 
you know, the smiles that they get when they see it through the lens is like, wow, I, that's me. You know, a lot of times, you know, it's just extremely interesting. And I think as we were talking earlier, you know, I mentioned how I wouldn't mind shooting more. I just don't have the time. But, mm-hmm. you know, the time that I do shoot, I find it, you know, so like I feel alive shooting. I feel like it's just fun. You know what I mean? It's yeah. my one you know, hobby that I, I essentially have outside of working out. What are the things that you do when you're not working? Because I know you do have three different things that you do mm-hmm. professionally. What do you do outside of um, photography? I know you work, you work out. What are some other mm-hmm. things you like to do? Um, I mean, that's really all the time I have. I do like to support um, my other friends when they're doing things, you know, pre-COVID, of course, there hasn't been much to support since then. But I also have, you know, I do a lot through the American Cancer Society, as I mentioned, losing my mom. I lost my mom to breast cancer. So, mm-hmm. you know, I do so much with them. Um, usually every year I'm their highest fundraiser um, and their pace setter, which is a person who essentially sets the pace on the goals that everybody else should be raising for the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this off year, so funny, because I really wasn't, you know, trying to be as persistent as I normally am, because of COVID. So I was being mindful of people's financial situation. But even still, I was able to re- raise nearly 4000, which was still the most this of of this year's um, fundraiser. So wow. I felt really good about that. But in non COVID times, all my time outside of shooting and which I don't shoot a lot, a lot, but outside of shooting and working out, I'm essentially all I'm doing is figuring out fundraisers and how to get my people together for, you know, raising money for, for breast cancer awareness. Now, will you do any of that this year? I know it's a little ways off, but will you, is this something that they're still doing despite COVID? I know you did it last year. Yeah. So, you know, the walk is, you you know, everything is in anticipation of October, which is, you know, breast cancer awareness. And mm-hmm. we have the walk in October. But, um, you know, my fundraisers, you know, it kind of started in a way where we're like, listen, we know breast cancer awareness is in October, but we want to do things to keep the awareness, you know, outside of that. We're all year round, essentially, like in January usually January and February, there's a fundraiser that I do. Then I do another one around May, June, and then, Mm -hmm. you know, one more push right before October. So, you know, this year uh, there's only one because I never got my deposit back from a September one that I'm doing in Virginia, Mm -hmm. but um, I'm hoping by, by September I can still, you know, with COVID, hopefully we can get some herd immunity and people are feeling a little bit safer as far as going out. And I can still do that. But I purposely kept the um, deposit with that so I can, you know, be hopeful that I can at least get that event in, which is a paint and sip event, live band. And essentially we just have paintings that we do that's breast cancer themed. So I'm going to keep my fingers crossed on that. But it's, it's not a definite that anything's going to happen. So it may end up being like last year where I just reached out to a few of my faithful donors mm-hmm. and just, you know, get them to donate. And, you know, we're just going to have to have another slow year. But hopefully, you know, things turn around within these next couple of months by, by summer's end. Yeah. Well, the next part of what I like to do for every guest that I have is I send out um, it's like a little questionnaire and it's called think about this and so um you sent me your answers and let's just talk about uh, those things so what is something that you can teach someone in five minutes that you feel like you know how to do it you can teach it to them and they can get it done in five minutes not act the actual thing but what you're teaching um i say waffles you think you can teach somebody how to make waffles? are you talking about from scratch yeah and you can teach somebody how to make it in five minutes. Five minutes. Only okay. A couple, only a couple ingredients. So it doesn't take very long to do that. I mean, and you're saying teaching, not like teach, cook, and have everything done. Clearly. Right, right, right. For it to cook, but to actually prepare it is very, very simple. I guess I never thought about it because I really don't make that many waffles from scratch. Yeah, I mean, I love waffles. So between waffles and pancakes by history, 
you know, the times I've invited people for either brunch or just, you know, my girlfriends or whatever the case may be, they tend to really love the waffles or the pancakes. So, you know, I've I've just always, you know, kind of, you know, some of them have asked me after the fact, like, well, how can I make that? So, you know. And you're able to teach it. Yeah. Okay, Chef Ricky. All right. What are others, what is something that you want people to know about you, but they just never ask? Um, again, I think because of the profession, you know, people approach me, you know, through my profession, through social media, like I would, I'm just never surprised on some of the questions that people ask me. And there's, I can't, I couldn't, I can't really think of anything. Like the only thing I really could think of was like my tattoos. Like mm-hmm. people say, Hey, you have nice tattoos, but like literally no one has ever like looked at them and say, well, tell me what that one means. Tell me what that one means. Like I can probably ask my old girlfriend, tell me four tattoos I have, and she probably wouldn't even be able to tell me four of them. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think most people look at the ink and just be like, oh, it's ink. But I don't think anybody ever like, well, tell me what that means. Because every tattoo I have, it has a meaning to it. It's not just like a random like, oh, I want to stick that there. But, you know, but ultimately, that's the one question that I think people never, ever, ever ask me at all. And because we can't see Ricky, Ricky has, he's covered, not like, is it, (laughs) it's from (laughs) the neck down, right? The neck down. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. Like he is literally, you have both sleeves. Right. Do you have both legs? Yeah. So when I say covered, I mean covered. Any part that you can see um, uh, appropriately. It's covered. It's, it's just, and all, you're telling me all of those places, all of those tattoos have a significant meaning. This is true. Mm-hmm. So how long does it take? Because I love tattoos myself. Like I have a several that a lot of people don't know about either, but that's okay. But how, how long does it take you to decide, okay, this is what I'm going to do. This is where I'm going to put it. Or do you have it mapped out from the beginning and you just decide when you're going to get things done? Yeah, and I I think because I started so early with getting tattoos, I think I was a junior in high school when I got my first tattoo. That one is now covered up. I think all the tattoos I pretty much got in high school are covered up now. Mm -hmm. But um, ultimately, I think it starts with me just saying, yeah, I think that from the first one on, it's been basically off to the races. So there's no, you know, real set plan. You know, I really wish and I was actually talking to one of my friends about possibly getting one sleeve just lasered off and just starting all over just because, you know, it's one of those things where I think it was a that was like the arm that I would get tattoos on, like before I started everywhere else. And I would just randomly get stuff that I like and I would just put it there mm-hmm. so, so it doesn't have any real like kind of flow. Well, to me, it doesn't have a flow. I, it Towards the end of me finishing it, it has more of a flow, but, you know, it's still kind of random to me. So I really want to start it over. But no, essentially, like there's like right now, I think next month I'm starting back on getting some more ink on like my thighs and stuff. But um, I have some appointments in Virginia, actually. So I'll be following up on that. But but I already know these things. Like I already know like how I wanted this leg to look. And I was able to start it from, you know, a few years back. And now I'm able to kind of pull it all together. But, you know, I also just like random stuff. Like I have, uh, you know, the 100 emoji. I just have that on my arm because I just wanted it and I had space. So mm-hmm. it's like um, like some part of me, I just want random tattoos over me, like in the spaces that I have, because I find that really cool when I see people who are covered with tattoos. I'm like, man, that's a cool place just to throw something there. So, you know, it's no real rhyme or reason. But there, there is some rhyme or reason if it makes sense, I guess. Yeah, I just, but when like, it's just so, you are interesting because if you look at Ricky, like he's so professional, very, very professional. And the idea, like you just so, you're, to me, you're complex because the idea that after you take off your work clothes, 
and put on your regular clothes. Like you just, I would never have imagined that you would be completely sleeved um, and have both legs covered. Yeah, that's the funny part, but that's also the part that I truly, truly enjoy about being who I am, right? Mm -hmm, Because, mm -hmm. you know, that's the, the individual that, you know, like they say, don't judge a book by its cover. You know what I'm saying? You're only, if you know me in a professional sense, then yeah, you're going to be like, you wouldn't know what to think if you saw me outside of that. If you, I think it would be much easier for you to know me in just like a social setting and then believe that I'm a therapist, then Mm -hmm. know that I'm a therapist and then believe that, you know, I got all this other stuff going on, but you know, that is the, you know, I, I think that's so cool about people where, you know, when you meet them, they're not like this one trick pony, right? Like they're just, you know, so bizarre and weird in a way where you're like, (laughs) wow, that is interesting. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, like that's what makes us who we are when we're able to, you know, do what we want to do despite of, you know, whatever, whatever title you can be, like you can still do whatever you want to do and, you know, still be respected in a way. And I kind of, I gave up, you know, the idea of like, oh, I'm not, I'm, I can't get these tattoos because, you know, what if this person sees it? But, you know, at work, you really probably can't really see it. I wear long sleeves even in the summer. So it's not mm-hmm. like I'm in there with short sleeves and my darn, you know, <laughs> tattoos are out all over the place. So it's a, right. it's a little different, you know, when, when I say you know, people would never be able to connect, but that's why, because they're not seeing full sleeves. Of course, when I'm talking to patients and efforts to build rapport with them, when they are people who love tattoos, then yeah, we discuss tattoos and I tell them about my tattoos and, you know, we kind of relate and vibe on that. But otherwise, you know, most people really, really wouldn't know, you know, how invested my skin is. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And that's, I love the complexity of who you are. So, I just it's just another dimension of Ricky Duncan that is it's just always something new. And it's cool because. You don't like you're consistent, you know what I mean, even though you have all these complexities of of who you are, like you're stylish, but yet like to me, you're a little bit nerdy, which is okay. (laughs) I mean, because and I don't say that in like a bad way, I say because you're super smart and you're very intelligent, but yet you're like a lot of times people that are cool aren't always that way. So, like, I just, I don't know. I just love Ricky Duncan. Okay, and I keep calling you Ricky Duncan. I don't know why I keep calling you your first and last name. Because that's my name, so it's okay. I know. Okay, we're going to move on. <laughs> so, what inspires you, Ricky? Like, what's what are things that inspire you and that, that make you do what you do and are, are so passionate about? Mm-hmm. Um, I think my friends mainly, a lot of, you know, what they do. Um, I love to see my friends kind of accomplish their goals and I love to see them, you know, just doing well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when how they, you know, kind of support me, that's always like one of those things that inspires me to keep doing what I do is to know that I got people that genuinely care about, you know, how I'm doing and, you know, professionally and personally. But, mm-hmm. you know, that is one of my main drives is just, you know, one of the main things that inspires me really comes from friends and those adults, older adults who really helped me get this far, you know, just the, them seeing that, you know, I did something with, you know, the knowledge and, you know, the, the tutelage. Yeah. But outside of that, of course, you know, working with my patients, mm-hmm. you know, when they're recovery and, you know, they make strides and all of that. And, when they gain insight on stuff is like, it's always like, it keeps me like, yes, I'm good at this. This is why I want to do this because, you know, this patient is like, man, I, I, I want my husband to see you now, or I want, I, I, you're seeing my son, but when can I start seeing you? Like that happens so much, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, my, one of my side gigs that I do with the one-on-one with telehealth, you know, a lot of times the parents are like, man, he's making progress. You know, I want to be involved in therapy as well. And, I, and you know, that is so inspiring because it helps me. It lets me know that I'm doing, you know, something good for someone else. And I'm 
you know, I'm making a difference. So, you know, it sounds so cliche, but, you know, for the most part, you know, seeing others reach some potential is always going going to be in, inspiring to me. But ultimately, just, you know, being able to see my friends do things and learning from my friends, it's always like, man, this is great. Like, I'm, I want to continue to do well and I want to continue to make a difference. Yeah. Would you say that the little boy that you were would look up to the man that you are today? Um, I would say, yeah, clearly, because, you know, the little boy was the project kid, the being evicted, the seeing domestic violence, the seeing the drug use. You know, the, the little boy was the one that wasn't really dreaming about like this day, like mm-hmm. the little boy was only living, you know, for the here and now, like what was going on? Like, did we have food? You know what I'm saying? Like, I was so bad. Was I going to get a butt whooping? Am I scared to go home? You know what I'm saying? Like Mm -hmm. that, that was that little boy. So, you know, you know, clearly if that little boy had this grown man to look up to at that time, then yeah, that little boy would have been like, man, that's somebody I want to be like. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Clearly I, you know, I'm, I've made, a ton of mistakes in my life that, you know, that has helped me grow. But, you know, clearly that little boy would smack me in the face and be like, dude, what what are you thinking? <laughs> so, you know, but ultimately to answer your question, yes, you know, the the little Ricky, the little lion would have definitely, you know, looked up to this Ricky as someone, you know, that they, they would probably want to mirror on the surface of things. Yes. Yeah. So I'm really into sound and sound waves. Like I say this every time I do a show, sound waves are infinite. Like they, once a sound comes out, it never ends. It goes on forever. So I I like to ask everybody that comes on the show, what sound, if you could be a sound, what sound would you be and why? So what sound would Ricky Duncan be? (laughs) I would be, I would just be the loudest from the bottom of your gut scream, I guess. Like, <laughs> I, I just really think, like, although I've never, like, really, like, I've, I haven't done it from the bottom of my gut, but, mm-hmm. like, sometimes if I'm driving in a car and, like, something has, like, either pissed me off or something has really excited me, like, made me happy, mm-hmm. like, all I can think about is a loud scream like I can just think about that and I think the release of it all sometimes just feels so good so I think you know if I could be a sound like that would kind of be the sound because that's really the only sound that I think brings me some type of comfort I guess or ease or or yeah I just think that's the the best release that I can think about is the loudest scream possible which is still another crazy thing because I have never, ever, I can't remember hearing you raise your voice or <laughs> become like um, upset or animated. Like you are the coolest person, one of the coolest people I know, cool headed. So to me, when I saw that and you said you'd be the loudest scream possible, like I've never heard you talk loud. Right. So it's just. Yeah, I don't typically, you know, and like I said, it's more or less like, like, that's what my mind would tell me. My mind would say, man, a really loud scream will make you feel good right now. <laughs> like, I really feel like people could use that, you know, as mm-hmm. an outlet sometimes. Like, even when I deal with clients like the younger ones, when they're like, really don't know how to direct their, their impulses. A lot of times I say, Hey, just pick up the pillow and just scream in the pillow or punch the pillow or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes just trying to get a release is is what it is and maybe that's why because i am so like i try to be like cool and calm head calm and you know not really raise my voice in a way where you know it's going to be out of character so i think that's why a loud scream you know kind of relates to like maybe that's just the inner me that really wants to kind of come out so you know i guess that could be part of where that comes comes from i love it i just it's just interesting because, like I said, I've never heard you scream or yell or be loud at all. So another part of complexity of for Mr. Ricky. Now, let's move on and talk about what it is that you do. Um, and we know in 2021, 
um, mental health, if anything, that we we all live through 2020. Thank God we, we've made it through. And it's still a little stressful as we roll into um, 2021. Mental health is so important for so many reasons, for so many different people. But it's especially important in our culture and our um, people as far as and when I say that, I, I mean the black community um, first. That's what we're going to talk about. But just as a whole, mental health is is it's just important that you have good mental health, especially in times where things can kind of fall apart as they did in 2020 for a lot of people with illness, with um, financial issues and jobs and trying to juggle life. I know as as a mom, um, just having to figure out how we're going to deal with e-learning and different situations and even just going out to the store, taking your kids outside with um, COVID that you don't even really know much about. You know, at the time in 2020, we weren't sure how bad it was. I mean, we hear about it. Is it real? Is it not real? Like, is this, is this something that's major? And then you have people in your family that catch it people that die that you know from it. So it's just, it's a lot. So as a therapist, how have you seen things change? Have you um, seen an increase? Have you seen a decrease? Have you seen people just kind of be like, I'm numb to it? How how important is it for mental health, especially in 2020 and 2021? Yeah, I, I do think, you know, it's, it's so complex for the most part, because mm-hmm. I think what has emerged during this time is, you know, telehealth, you know, yeah. prior to COVID, you know, the federal government, they did not regulate telehealth in that way. So we were not able to bill for, you know, services, you know, over like a Zoom or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever outlet you use, you know, the technology piece of it all to communicate with therapy. Now you can do psychiatry, you know, telepsych, mm-hmm. that's always been in play, but far as the feds regulating billing for uh, telehealth with these mental health services, that just hasn't been there. So, you know, I can essentially see someone in Virginia or wherever, you know, it doesn't matter. So um, just because of that technology, so the increase with the te- with the telehealth stuff has been tremendous, but mm-hmm. it's been, you know, the office stuff because, you know, some of my clients are, are pretty scared to come in. So right. I do see older at risk, you know, patients. So I understand that. So that piece has kind of slowed slightly. But, um, you know, overall, you know, as I'm talking to people, everyone's dealing with you know, the same thing, you know, that depressed mood, Mm -hmm. the anxiety, no one's able to do much. You know, a lot of people are losing jobs, you Mm -hmm. know, across the board, it's essentially the same thing that people have to deal with. Um, But what has changed, you know, I would say the past year is that people and even and even with the COVID, I think people are starting to understand like, well, I've been thinking about getting mental health or a therapist for some time now, but, you know, now they're like, you know, a lot of stuff is really weighing on me. And I think the best thing I should do is maybe talk to someone about it. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the narrative that I've been hearing, you know, through these COVID times, because it has, it's kind of has exacerbated, you know, people's, you know, issues because they're home, they kind of have to deal with it. (laughs) And, you know, people are acknowledging that. So, you know, that's been, one of the shifts with, with this COVID era. Do you think that with telehealth, um, you have a connection? I know, I know you have a connection, but, um, when I, when I moved to Indiana, I worked up here, um, for the local, the community mental health, our psychiatrist did telehealth, telemed, um, with some of the patients. And then, I don't know if patients always felt connected. Like, do you feel like as a therapist now that you are getting that connection with your patients, your clients um, through telehealth? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's such an interesting question, you know, because I was one of those people, you know, when I worked at a facility where we actually did telehealth, you know, my, the job that I work at now through central health, we don't have, it's, essentially a primary care with urgent care and a cardiology connected to it. Mm -hmm. So I see those patients through those providers, but 
prior to that job, you know, the part-time job that I do on the weekend is an acute facility where, you know, we see patients coming in for a whole host of things. And, you know, we do have a couple of providers that do, or a couple of psychiatrists that they do telehealth. And I've always been like, man, well, well, tell a psych, I should say. Mm -hmm. And I, I was always opposed to it because exactly what you just said, there's no real connection to the patient when it comes, you know, when you're doing telepsych because you're, you know, you're essentially prescribing medications for someone. Mm -hmm. That's weird to me to be able to assess that over, you know, over, (laughs) you know, just a TV screen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that was my initial, you know, feelings about it. So I was kind of reluctant you know, with the agency that I work with, you know, part time. And when I committed to doing the job, it was before COVID. And I was supposed to see a specific population on the weekends at a specific office. And I was cool with it. So, you know, when COVID hit, you know, and I, right when I started that gig, it was essentially like I hadn't seen anybody yet. So we were still getting credentialing and all of that. And as we were doing that, COVID hit. Mm -hmm. So I never really even got to see anybody through that job in office. So every patient that I've seen, they have been through telehealth. And, you know, I I can distinctly remember like in my mind, like, man, I'm really going to hate this. I'm not going to enjoy this because one of my strengths, I think, is being able to build a really good rapport with patients and, you know, developing a good working relationship. And I didn't think I would be able to do it as well with telehealth. And I swear, you know, after like the first couple of weeks, first month, after I started to see the patients, like maybe their second or third session, Mm -hmm. it was really no different than seeing them in in office you know what i'm saying like my patients that i see we're extremely connected they feel you know like they're receiving you know everything that they that they need to receive so you know i I try to check in with them with telehealth because it is kind of different you know so a little bit different than i would do or how i do with my um regular daytime you know i check in more with the telehealth because it is a a slight disconnect because we're not face-to-face yeah essentially but you know ultimately the feedback is like no i'm good i feel like you know i'm getting better and you know and again when that's what you know like what else do you know but telehealth right right say not me but for them, what else do you know? So the, you know, you, that's what you're going to, that's what you think is kind of what happens is telehealth, right? Yeah. yeah. I thought half of them already in the office and then telehealth, they might feel a different way, but, you know, getting started with every single one of them through telehealth has been such a smooth transition. And, you know, I'm almost like, man, when we get off of this COVID mess, I don't even know if I want to see them in office. I think I want to pay telehealth. So because it's much easier, I can just come home and do it from my house. And I don't necessarily have to go into an office from another office. You know, it's just it works out so much better. So now because you do telehealth, has technology been a hindrance or has it been because, I mean, they have to have technology too. And if you have people that are dealing with financial hardships or stuff that's going on, how, how does that work? I mean, if they don't have the means or ability to get to you through technology, what happens? Cause you know, like before, when you see people in, when I had to see people in the office, sometimes it was transportation was an issue because the community I dealt with was um, impoverished. So it was like, I don't have gas to get back and forth. I can't get my kid to their appointment because our car broke down. So now you're dealing with a whole nother set of issues potentially because if they don't pay their phone bill or if they can't get to a computer or what, however that they reach you through technology, how has that been? Yeah. And I think because I have, you know, I work in a couple of different sectors of this particular thing. So, you know, my initially when COVID hit my daytime job, you know, we went straight telehealth. Mm-hmm. So the system they tried to put in place was just kind of just it just wasn't good because at the beginning, no one really knew. No one. Again, we the, the feds never regulated this. So no one was set up for telehealth. There right. was just no, no one knew how to do it. So, 
you know, it was you. You're right. Like my older, like how I'm, how I'm gonna expect like a sixty-two and up year old mm-hmm. person? They got flip phones still. You right. know what I'm saying? So how can I expect them to download? You know, you know our app that we use to do that because some you know like facetime and all that that's not regulated so it has to be a certain you know technology that we use Mm -hmm. to connect right to be able to build it so um so getting them to do that like i said a lot of patients dropped off with that and i still haven't gotten them back because of that because of covid Mm -hmm. and the technology and they're unable to get to all of that so you're definitely right with that but you know, my main, you know, my main part time that I do to telehealth in the afternoons, like these people, we don't seek patients, patients seek us. So clearly they, you know, they have all of the, you know, they know what it entails mm-hmm. when they reach out, they know it's telehealth. They know they've got to have the technology. They know, you know, all these things have to be in place. With that said, though, there's definitely been times where like just this week on Monday, one of the kids I was seeing, I guess he was using his outdated laptop, but I found this out after we talked, after I rescheduled it for later in the week, but I couldn't hear him. He could hear me and I couldn't hear him. Mm. So it was just like, it was because it was of his crazy. equipment, like, it was like times like that, which is like far and few in between but it's so frustrating and in my mind I'm like I say this afterwards like this is why I hate telehealth because mm-hmm. that like that wouldn't happen you know if we were face to face but that has happened a few times but that was the first time where I actually had to just say hey because he was he's 16 years old I didn't really want to go back and forth with him so I was like hey let's just reschedule for Wednesday and try again he switched computers and it worked out um usually it's about like turning it off and logging back on but that's still like the technology part of it that's still kind of like the glitch in it so Mm -hmm. but but overall you know you're right some patients are going to be left behind because they don't have the technology just like they would be left behind for patients who don't have transportation right the same thing want they want to be able to go in but they don't have anybody to take them and mm-hmm. all of that so it's it's you know they run there's going to be risky the way in office or telehealth there's going to be some roadblocks for for some patients so with everything that's going on right now like the climate that we're in um the health climate as far as covid um people are dying people are are sick or the financial issues and then we have the racial climate that we have, um, the political, the po- politically charged climate. Um, to me, that seems like it's more than a regular election cycle. I feel like it's just everything is amped up. Um, as a people, as a culture, have you seen an influx of of um, patients or clients um, that are coming to you with a lot of situations or like, have you seen a change over your 18 years? Have you seen a change in an ink or an increase in black people coming for therapy or recognizing that they need therapy and how important it is? Oh, definitely. Definitely. I, I love it so much. Like when, cause again, with, with, you know, the evening job that I do through telehealth, all I see is African-American clients mm-hmm. and, it's so interesting when, you know, these people reach out because by history, you know, in the black community is taboo mm-hmm. and some people believe in the church and, you mm-hmm. know, the God, God figuring out, just pray on it and it'll all go away. Um, we just have so much stigma with mental health. And I think, you know, coincidentally how social media works, right? And mm-hmm. when we see like we're we're kind of a, a nation of followers, right? No one wants to be an individual. So when we see our favorite artist or our favorite actor talking about how they struggle with depression and anxiety, you know, I think in the past few years, it's become more acceptable because people really realize that mental health is real. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's mm-hmm. not just taboo and it's not just something you can pray away and all of this. You need professional help with it. You yeah. know what I'm saying? 
So it's definitely been an increase, I would say, in the past couple of years. But I also would think because of the awareness and people not feeling that is, you know, that much of a stigma. You know, when I think about it, a lot of times, even when I'm doing groups with patients, I try to throw the number out like, you know, one in four, right? One in four people have a mental health illness, right? They may not be diagnosed with it because mm-hmm. they haven't seen help, but the numbers show that one in four have some type of mental illness. So, wow. you know, clearly it's not rare. You know what I'm saying? A yeah. lot of people suffer from mental illness. So, you know, still we're not where we need to be as far as numbers and people really getting help because, you know, I feel like we all need someone to talk to about some of our traumas. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of haven't had the best upbringings and some of us, you know, have had to deal with some issues and, you know, some people just don't, they're not equipped with learning how to deal with them. Mm -hmm. They've, you know, come up with negative coping strategies to deal with those things. And that tends to not be very healthy. So, um, you know, it's definitely been an influx within the African-American community. Uh, like almost all my friends, they don't see me. They may call me for stuff, but mm-hmm. they don't see me. But most like all my friends will say, yeah, I saw my therapist. So I'm seeing a therapist or what have you. And it's like, it's just like, hey, yeah, I'm going to get pizza. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. Just, that's how simple it really is. And I really do, you know, do love that. You know, I just pray that you know, the people that they're seeing, you know, are very helpful and giving them, you know, the right direction that they need. So who does the therapist see? Like as a black man in 2021, I'm sure that a lot of things you've seen, heard, and they may not have affected you or they may not like trigger anything. But I mean, for me, I know I've been triggered by lots of things as a, as a um, African-American or a black female, a mother of two children. In the past two, three, it could be even seven years. I I think a lot of people are trying to say things are different now, but they really aren't different. I think they're just being seen more frequently. Like we have an opportunity to see more things than we did even 10 years ago. So um, out out in the open. So who does the therapist see? Or or how how are you dealing with some of the things that are going on in 2021? Yeah, people ask me that all the time. And it's so funny because I've never thought about it. Like, I guess it's just, you know, I don't want to say it's me just having a big head and I have it all figured out and all of this. But, mm-hmm. you know, when I think I kind of liken it to like being a coach or something, because when you're a coach and you're coaching kids to do things, you your skills get better in it. Right. Like mm-hmm. if you're teaching basketball, all of a sudden you're you're back to shooting well again. And when you go play pickup. You're playing defense fundamentally now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I like that when people ask me about like, well, who does the therapy see? And I think doing therapy is my therapy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because sometimes I'm talking to patients and they may not necessarily be going through the same thing that I've been through or that I'm going through. But. I get an aha moment within myself, like, dang, boy, that's the same stuff you were just talking about to yourself. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So a lot of times it's a aha moment for me, but if it's something truly that I'm dealing with, you know, I'll call a couple of my therapist friends and, you know, kind of hash it out with them and say, hey, like, this is what's going on. But with me, you know, I've learned to kind of keep my life in a way where it's not a lot of drama. I'm not stressed about a lot of things mm-hmm. and I don't get involved with stuff that's going to have me like, man, like really staying up all night. So I, I, I've kind of mastered that. Mm-hmm. So it keeps my anxiety and depression and such like that. Like, I just don't have that going on. Um, you know, a lot of times if I'm talking to friends about something, I'm usually trying to process something that I have going on, like maybe with a female friend or, you know, making a decision on my fundraising stuff. But I try to pride myself on keeping, you know, those issues of depression and anxiety and all that at bay, not not covering it, because if I had it, I think I would address it. But yeah, just, you know, I just think how my the way my life is set up it it's it doesn't lend it to it's not one of you know stress and you know worry and all of that so you know but i i definitely have outlets you know 
reaching from friends to other professional therapists. Uh, I have a strong group of um, therapists that I know that if things were really there, I'm like, hey, I need some sessions. Let's talk. You mm-hmm. know what I'm oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always so, good to have but, somebody like that in your corner. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, you know, but I, but ultimately, I do think, you know, practicing as a clinical therapist is also part of the therapy process of it as well. It's it's very therapeutic for you. That, that I I think that's good. And I didn't even think about that. And the analogy of the basketball coach was perfect mm-hmm. because you do get better as you are coaching someone. Then you are like, I need to do this too. So right. I, I guess as we come to a close, my the last the question of the day: What can we do? What do you feel like we need to do as um, a community? Um, not just the African-American community, like everyone in these days and times, what can we do to help us? Not only, let's say we don't get a therapist, the, just some tips or some tricks. If we can't, if we don't have access to a therapist right now, or these things in between our therapy sessions, what could be some things that we can do to just be like Ricky and be chill most <laughs> of the time, most of the time, because I promise over these past years that I've known you, like I said, I've never heard you raise your voice. Like you, you stay pretty even keel. But as a therapist, what can you give to us to say, this is what you can do to help you either make it in between or just maintain? What mm-hmm. would you, what would you, what would you do? What would you say? I think if I had like one major jewel or one major like piece of advice that I give my patients and I also talk to my friends about this all the time mm-hmm. Um, it's self-care. Like that Mm -hmm. is one of the things that I think we forget about because we are dedicated to family and we're dedicated to our jobs and we're dedicated to friends. And then we're sitting at home at night, like, well, dang, what did I do for myself today? Like, did I go on a walk? Did I go get my nails done? Did I go for a run? Like, what did I do today that was good for me? Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? I think we go along like we get used to a routine. So we don't even think about it. It's not even a thing where we're like, man, I really, I'm feeling depleted or I'm feeling like I need to catch up. Like we just go about our lives and we don't think about it. And I think one of the things that I'm always going to do, like no one's going to be well around me unless I'm well. Right. right? Like I be at a hundred percent before anybody around me can be a hundred percent before I help anyone do anything. I have to be okay. And in the way that I'm okay is to ensure that I take care of my myself first. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a selfish thing or anything. It's not a cocky thing. And I try, you know, when I talk to patients, I tell them like some people are, you're going to have to say no to some things you can't do because you're working on yourself. You know, everybody says this, you know, I see the memes all the time or people are posting like, well, I'm just working on me, but are you really work like what's working on you? You know what I'm saying? Like, what does that mean? Like, if it doesn't incorporate you doing a lot of things that make you happy, you know, then you're not really working on, on you. So that is the major, major key to keeping anxiety down, keeping depression at bay is stepping away from some things you know, and spending time with yourself. And I mean, that self-care could be, hey, I want to hang out with my girlfriends. I want to hang out with my old buddies and go have a drink or what have you. Like the self-care, it doesn't necessarily have to mean you're over in the corner, you know, playing hopscotch or something like (laughs) something, you know, that's solo. It could be whatever that you enjoy that is taking you away from those things that tend to stress you and, you know, increase anxiety and, you know, make us feel hopeless and such. And, you know, when we step away from things and work on ourselves, truly work on ourselves and do things that make us happy, then we feel so much more energized and we're able to kind of reconnect with people and, you know, give 100% to others. Oh, you're such a a breath of fresh air, Ricky. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate you, like, for real. Like, I know I've said it, we talked about it earlier. Um, I just I value our friendship. I value our relationship. Um, I just think a lot about you because I think a lot of you because of your demeanor and your professionalism. But you still so cool. Like 
Pretty Ricky. When I call you Pretty Ricky, I mean that because you stay fresh. <laughs> you really do. Like you just have this amazing attitude and amazing personality. And I don't want you to ever change. Like we've known each other this long. I don't think you will, but you are necessary. So I just want you to know that. Thank you, my friend. Yeah. And continue to keep doing the good work. Is there anything that you want to share as far as anything you've got coming up? Anything that um, a way that someone can get in contact with you, whether they be in your area, any kind of new things or information you want to share with everybody? Um, nothing much going on right now, but, um, you know, as far as my social media, it's Ricky Lee. Um, and also far as things coming up, you know, if people are in the area, Raleigh dorm area, just be on the lookout for some of my cancer events. Okay. But other than that, you know, no. And you can check me out on psychology today though, as far as telehealth services are concerned. Um, Ricky Duncan, um, on site psychology today, you can just put my name in the search engine and my happy face will come up. <laughs> and I'll put all your information on the blog <clears throat> and on the description of everything. So that way people can keep up with you. And, and if they do want to contact you in the area, then they're able to do that. But again, thank you for being my guest. Thank you for sharing the information that you shared regarding mental health, what we need to do, the, um, the things that people are going through and, the struggles, but yet the success. So like I said, you're necessary. I appreciate you because having a commitment to social work and mental health. I mean, we start out when I look at it and it's just 18 years, like we, that's probably when we met each other was 18, 17 years ago. That was my first professional experience. Yeah. So, and oh my gosh, I only was in it for maybe 10 years. I couldn't do social work, mental health work, I just, it was a lot for me. It was heavy. And so I applaud you because like I said, it's needed and for you to commit yourself and maintain without being burnt out. I mean, I think that's, that speaks volumes for you to be able to maintain and continue to give of yourself and your experience to others. It's incredible. So I just say kudos to you. Continue to keep pushing hard. Um, I know we'll always be able to have that our special relationship and communication. So I'm thankful for that. But basically, that's it. And I, I just I appreciate you. And this is her real life. So thank you all for listening. And until next time, we'll talk to you later.